everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into the tactical side of Major League Soccer. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, Lucci didn't quite make it as uh, as co-host material, so I'm thankful <laughs> to have you back um, back again this week. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Joe? <laughs> I'm quite well. It's nice to have some soccer back, even though it's not MLS. It's nice to have the Bundesliga back. It gives some some structure, I guess, to the weekends, which is something that I think <laughs> I think I've been missing for a while. So on the whole, I really cannot complain. Yeah, it makes you feel like you're back in a little bit of a rhythm, right? And totally. You know, we've talked about our love for having these games back and the guys at Total Soccer Show are crushing it as far as recapping all, everything that's going on in the Bundesliga. So props to them for Definitely. doing what they're doing. But I also have to say, Joe, props to you. Great interview last week with Lucci. <laughs> Thank you. It. Thank you. It was good to have him on and hear a lot of thoughts on a lot of things from him, honestly. Yeah. Well, for you and I, people don't know, we've actually talked about having this, that interview for a while. And we wanted to talk to him and just see what they're doing down in Dallas. And, you know, we interview a lot of people. And for those people who do interview, you know, that when the person that you're interviewing says like, that's a really good question. I've never been asked that before. You know, it's like a such a you just smiled and I, I was listening to your podcast and I heard that from him and I texted you right away I was like <laughs> yeah. that's awesome way to go like what a good question so um yeah it was really interesting if you guys didn't listen to that yet go go back and listen to that interview for sure well, thank you. Thank you very much. I like the plug to open up the episode. Jordan, we're not talking about coaching today. Today's show is all about designated players. You know, you can find articles listing the top DPs of all time on the internet on a number of different MLS-specific websites, but rarely, if ever, will you find any substantive analysis of those players. And Jordan, that's what we're here to change today. You and I sat down and put together a totally definitive, unquestionably perfect list of the 10 <laughs> best designated players in the history of MLS Okay, that's that's not true. And we both know it. And now our listeners know it, too. The list isn't definitive. It's not perfect. And we couldn't even settle on exactly 10 players like we couldn't fit the basic criteria to do this episode. But we went for it anyway. So we put together our list of a top 10 ish designated players in MLS history with the express purpose of looking at what exactly made the players on our list so effective. Jordan, do you want to explain sort of how we formatted this thing just so it's a little bit more clear for our listeners? Absolutely. And here comes the part where it's just it's just not perfect. Right. You and I, <laughs> We just couldn't agree on all 10. And I think one of the cool things is, is we don't have to agree on all 10. Right. Everybody has the ability to have their own opinion. And we basically went through all the DPs and thought to see, OK, could we find 10? Well, we found seven that are both of us agreed on these are seven that really made a huge impact. So we chose those seven. We're kind of going back and forth between those seven. And then for those last three, those extra spots there, we each chose our own three. So I don't know who Joe chose. He doesn't know who I chose. And so we're kind of rounding out the list to see, okay, maybe we do in the end pick the same people or maybe we don't. And we have different reasons for that. So I like the way we kind of work together, but also are bringing some of our own ideas to this. Exactly. We basically have two separate top 10 lists, if you think about it. So you're welcome, everyone. That seems like <laughs> bonus content for you guys. Um, Jordan, I think, you know what? We got a lot of players to get through. Why don't we just yeah. go ahead and get started? And we're starting off, Jordan, with the man behind this rule, sort of. David Beckham, take it away. Yeah, let's go to our honorable mention first. Usually you do this at the end, but it seems right to talk to him, <laughs> talk about him at the beginning. It's really hard to talk about DPs when you don't talk about the man who helped invent this designated player rule. You know, specifically for me, I remember being in college when we heard 
heard the rumors that David Beckham was going to come over to MLS and, you know, just that feeling. And I think that's what he brought, right? The feeling of a player like that top player in the world to come to a league in the United States was big and it really changed the trajectory of the league. And I, I think it came out a really great time where the league was uh, needing a, an extra little boost. Right. And it has helped change the league in such a big way to bring all these other players in that we're going to talk about and allow for their salaries to be paid and to enhance this league. So uh, I think on the field, this is why we honorable mentioned David Beckham <laughs> on the field. Uh, I mean, 40 assists. You can't, you can't take that away from him. Seven additional assists coming in the playoffs. Th- that guy with his left foot is just absolutely unreal. And so I think a lot of the stuff that he did on the pitch was uh, wonderful. I think a lot of the stuff he did on the pitch was a distraction, right? When you know <laughs> yeah. David Beckham is on the pitch. Um, if you watch The Last Dance, you know what that's about with Scottie Pippen. But this is uh, our honorable mention of David Beckham. So we're going to start off with him and then we're going to get into our actual 10 right now. So I don't know, Joe, do you have anything to add on with David Beckham or do you feel like that's a good summary of of who he was and what he brought to the league? I think that's a good summary. The only thing I want to add before we get into the real meat here is just a quick explanation of what the designated player rule is. I think if you're listening to this show, I'm 99% sure you already know what it is, but you never want to assume that. So I summarize the designated player rule by taking half of a sentence off of MLS's roster rules and regulations and then adding my own summary after that. So the designated player rule allows clubs to acquire up to three players whose total compensation and acquisition costs exceed the maximum salary budget charge. So I just sounded way too much like Sam Stagecoal there. So basically, the DP rule allows teams to sign high-quality players, a certain number right. of them on their roster. So that's all I wanted to sort of do before we get into the actual list of 10 or the lists of 10 that we have here, just so yeah. that all of our listeners have a good understanding of, of why we're even talking about these players in the first place. I like it. I like that. Um, I like we start off with both those things. The rule, David Beckham, and now we're going to get into our 10, right? You're going to you're going to start us off here with your first DP that we both agreed upon. Absolutely. So up first, I have Miguel Almiron from Atlanta United. I think he's the perfect player to start off this real list of 10. He's the first because I think he's one of the brightest that we have seen most recently. This guy, absolutely incredible talent. And that's going to get old, so I'm not going to say it for every player. But it's it's absolutely true. Coming over from Lanos in Argentina in 2016, as Atlanta was building that expansion roster, playing with Atlanta United for a couple of seasons in 2017 and 18, making the playoffs in both seasons, having some incredible numbers, some incredible expected goals and expected assist contributions. One of the best seasons all time since MLS started collecting data back in 2018. He has the sixth highest combined total of those two stats. So he's not only hugely effective assisting plays and and assisting his teammates in transition or in a set offensive attack, but also he's a goal threat as well. And when I was thinking about what exactly made Miguel Amiron so good, because I don't know about you, Jordan, but in my mind, I still have a pretty good idea of what he looks like as a player. It's still pretty fresh just because he was playing in the league so recently. When I was trying to think about who Miguel Amiron was, the first thing that I thought to do, and this is so wrong, this is against like everything that I stand for, (laughs) is to go watch highlight videos of him. Yeah, he's a highlight reel, I feel yes. like. <laughs> That's literally what I have written down in my notes. He's a highlight reel. I don't love to go back and watch highlights of 
specific players because I don't think it gives a very good, well-rounded understanding of who they are as a player. But with Miguel Almiron, I was sitting there thinking about it, debating whether or not to click the link to the first YouTube video that popped up. And I was like, no, this is, in a lot of ways, this is who Miguel Almiron is as a player, especially the offensive part of his game. He's a human highlight reel, exactly like what you just said, Jordan. And so I went back through to watch, and the specific thing that stands out about his game, and I did watch an actual game of Almiron, by the way, but from both the highlight reels that I watched and a game against LAFC from 2018, the thing that stands out about Almiron is his speed and his first quick couple of steps. I mean, it's ridiculous. He gets out so quickly. Nobody can catch up with him if he's going at full speed. And he gets to that top speed so, so fast. And that helped Atlanta's attack so much in his time there. When you say and talk about highlight reel, I just imagine him on the ball running at speed as yeah. one of the things that I feel like he just excels at. And so that's definitely something. And, and it, it worked out with the way that Atlanta plays as well when he was there or played when he was there. It really suited his style. 100%. There was a moment in that LAFC game that I watched where Brad Guzan cleaned up a ball in his box late in the match against LAFC. So he ending the LAFC attack. And Guzan hits the ball on a line. He drops it and hits it out to Almiron on the left wing. Almiron's already in the opposing half. He touches the ball down from Guzan. Makes absolute mincemeat out of Lawrence Simon, center back for LAFC at the time. And he just runs around him like a traffic cone. And that's Miguel Almiron as a player, absolutely dynamic in so many ways. Yeah, and I also think he's on this list because I don't think DPs just change what's going on in the field. He also changed who they are off the field as far as like he was bought for a certain price and then he was sold for a greater price. And I think that gives people an idea of who a DP can be in this league. And I think it just changed that a little bit. You look at Almiron as sort of the poster child for the buy, let shine on the field in MLS and then sell model that MLS teams could pursue if they really wanted to. And frankly, we haven't seen a lot of that. But if teams really do want to pursue that buy, let play in MLS, you know, increase their value and then sell for a profit model, this move from Atlanta United with Miguel Almiron from Lanos in Argentina to Atlanta and then from Atlanta to Newcastle in the Premier League is sort Mm -hmm. of the model for that if we do see teams try to emulate that in some way. All right. I love it. Do do I move on to our next one? I'm not going to go very far. No, I think you should move on. Let's see what you got. (laughs) All right. I'm not going far. I'm going with his teammate, someone that we we get to see play. um, And hopefully, you know, actually this break, talking from experience, someone who's gone through an ACL injury, this break is something that I'm sure he's using to his advantage to uh, recover from that ACL injury. So Joseph Martinez, a player who hands down uh, for me has been the best player in MLS over the last few years. Now you talk about how Almarone came to Major League Soccer. Well, if you're talking Martinez, he came from Torino in Italy and it was on alone at first. And it took a month, just over a month for oh Atlanta gosh. to secure that because the what Joseph Martinez did in his first couple games I and probably who he was in that preseason, it really secured who he could be for Atlanta. Hmm. So when we're talking about this Atlanta squad and who they've been over the f- last few years, uh, I think one of the things that they wanted to do is they wanted to jump off right away, right? When they came into MLS, they said, we're going to hit big. We're going to swing for the fences. We're going to get these three DPs and we're going to go for it. And what Joseph Martina, Martinez has been able to do is he has been able to come in with that ability to kind of shoulder some of that weight for the club. His X factor is his mentality for mm. sure. 
for yeah. sure, for sure. And so I think he was able to handle that even at a young age. You know, he comes in at 23 and he's only going to get better. And he's he's also talked about how he wants to stay in Atlanta. Right. He doesn't want to want to leave. And he's played at various places around the world. And I think that's a really big thing when you're talking about DPs who want to play here for a long period of time. But when I think about how who he is as a player and what sets him out off as a DP, he just knows how to be deceptive. Hmm. So over and over, Joe, I think about his runs in the box are really why he excels in this league. He looks and watches the defender and he sees where the defender, his attention goes away from him and then he sneaks away. In my head, when I'm running through Joseph Martinez goals, I think of the play where like he kind of faints to the front post and then jumps and Gressel serves the ball to his head. And it's this, yeah. this you know, relatively short guy. Maybe he's five, seven. I don't know exactly. He's not a tall man, but he's yeah. out jumping these larger center backs. And that's not just because he has great athletic ability, which is true. He does have that. But it's also because he creates that little bit of separation with his movement to give him that advantage when he does jump up for the header to actually be able to get his head on it and finish. That's yeah. I mean, that perfectly speaks to what you're talking about that talks about his his ability to move and to be deceptive in the box and that's such an incredibly important skill for a striker he thinks the game differently and I think that's why the partnership with him and Grassle with him and Al Marone really worked is because they understood how the other one saw the game. And I'm not saying that his his way of seeing the game is better or worse. It's just different. Mm-hmm. And because those players understood it and because Atlanta understands it, I think that's where his loyalty lies as well. Right. Is is he feels appreciated. And when you feel appreciated and confident as a number nine, <laughs> you know what you're going to do. You're going to score a lot of goals. And, uh, you know, that's what he does. He breaks records he um gets hat tricks he is the most dangerous player and um you know i think for all of us i'm speaking for all mls i would say even the players that play against him because when you compete against the best you can then size yourself up against it right is we hope that he comes out of this injury the same joseph martinez as he was before even a little bit better because i cannot wait to watch him continue to just um play his game on the pitch here in MLS. Before we move on to my next player, who's also a number nine, it's fun for me to go back and reminisce on some of these players from from days gone by. Joseph Martinez still playing in MLS, but Miguel Amiron and some of the other guys that we're going to talk about no longer in the league. It's fun to go back and look at the teams that they played on. It's a little bit sad to think about that Atlanta attack that was so important for them in their first couple of years in the league. Joseph Martinez is still there, as you're talking about. But Gressel, now gone to DC United. Miguel Almiron, out to the Premier League with Newcastle. Darlington Nagby, not an attacker, certainly, but out now over with Columbus, Jordan, with you guys. Mm -hmm. It's it's changing a lot, and it's it's kind of sad in a way to look back at these historically good... That Atlanta team was historically good in the context of of the whole history of MLS, not just their first couple of years in the league, but to see what these guys accomplished together and now see them going and doing their own things. It's it's pretty impressive to think about what these players have done and what they'll continue to do, even now being in different places. Even looking over these players and researching and um, getting ready for this chat, I, Joe, it just makes you like so hyped and ready to go. So, <laughs> um, okay, let's go back to yours. You are going to go back a little bit and uh, bring us this number nine. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show. Before Joe brings you that number nine, I wanted to let you know that this episode of MLS Assist is brought to you by Podium Wear. Podium Wear is a custom team apparel manufacturer in Minnesota that is turning the world of soccer team kit ordering on its head. They provide custom designs in a full line of soccer apparel, all made to order in their St. Paul factory. Uh, 
that same ball pack factory means that everything is made in the United States. All jobs are based in the United States. So by supporting them, you're supporting American manufacturing. In normal times, we would be talking about uh, how great this process is and how your experience ordering for your or your kids' club teams uh, will be made infinitely easier. But these are not normal times. Uh, because of the COVID-19 crisis, Podium Wear has started making face masks for you to wear while you're out and about. So if you're uh, maybe outside debating uh, best MLSDPs of all time, you can wear a face mask that's MLS-oriented. Uh, maybe you're a coach in the Bundesliga. Maybe you want to wear a mask for the team that you're coaching to show that next-level bit of solidarity. You could do that, too. Podium Wear has started making masks for you to wear. You can buy one for yourself or customize them for a team. Uh, when normal times resume, you can think of Podium Wear first uh, for your or your kids' soccer kits. But for now, visit them for masks to wear out and about. So go to PodiumWear.com and get your custom mask today. Bookmark them for when you're ready for your next soccer kit order. That's PodiumWear.com. Check them out today. Thank you very much to Podium Wear for sponsoring this episode of MLS Assist. Now back to Jordan and Joe and Joe's number nine. Next up for me is Robbie Keane from the LA Galaxy. Well, not always from the LA Galaxy. Before arriving <laughs> in MLS, he played and scored a lot of goals in the Premier League, mostly for Tottenham. Then he joined the Galaxy midway through the 2011 season and played that season and five more with the Galaxy. I mean, he really was in LA for a long time, scoring 92 goals in MLS from 2011 to 2016. That includes playoffs and regular season. Jordan, I think the highest compliment that I can give any striker, this can be Joseph Martinez, this can be Robbie Keane, doesn't matter, is that they make scoring goals and, and playing soccer in general look easy. Yeah. And that's what Robbie Kane did during his time with the Galaxy. Like, if I just turned on Robbie Kane footage and I'd never seen soccer before, and I, I do like to use this illustration, I would think that playing soccer is, like, the easiest thing in the world. Anyone could go out there and play soccer. But that's not true. And, and we know it's not true, but Robbie Kane makes right. me think, just for a second, that maybe I am in the wrong career field and I should be playing instead of talking about the game. He, he can do it all. He can score goals yeah. with his right foot, his left foot, his head, inside the box, outside the box, on the ground, on the volley. It does not matter. He has composure in front of goals. He is the total package. But to get specific, and this is exactly what you were talking about with Joseph Martinez, which I think, in a way, is a great analysis of the forward position. Robbie mm-hmm. Kane's best attribute is his ability to manipulate defenders in the box with his movement. I'm not going to dig too much into it now because you literally did a fantastic job of it just a minute ago. But he left, Robbie Keane left center backs dazed and confused so much. I literally laughed out loud sometimes watching it because they looked so befuddled. But he just left these guys for dead over and over and over again. It's kind of like magic, I guess is how I think of it. It's like sleight of hand magic. You distract someone in one spot while you're doing something else in another spot. (laughs) And it's like, that's that's what it is, right? Keane would make a run, faint one direction and then move back in the other direction very quickly. And he did it over and over and over again. And then once he got the ball, simple tap-ins, right? And that's mm-hmm. when he worked for it. He had a lot of incredible goals as well. But a lot of the time, he did his work before he even got the ball. And you absolutely have to respect that in a number nine. Oh my gosh. he! I love that sleight of hand because that's exactly what these players are. They're like little magicians on the field. I watched every Robbie Keane goal from his time in the Galaxy. There was a video out that the Galaxy had posted. Um, and then I found the few that weren't in the clip from other places. But there was, there was a lot of those positionally adept moves and, and then some absolute bangers from outside the box and, you know, with both feet and his head. And then you got to see the classic somersault and the finger gun celebration. It was, it was, was so say, fun going back. <laughs> yeah. It was fun going back and seeing that Galaxy team that was so strong with a lot of really mm-hmm. high profile names. And then young Jossie Zardes over here and Landon Donovan over there and just like all these pieces. But yeah, Robbie Keane, an absolute assassin in the box, or I should say an absolute magician in the box because he is everywhere in there. It was an easy agreement for both of us to choose him. Robbie Keane was an absolute (laughs) must on this list. Yeah. Jordan, hit us up with your second player on this official top 10-ish list. 
Okay, I'm going East Coast to New York City FC. This is a player who I, I fortunately had the opportunity to go watch him play in Barcelona. Mm. And I brought my other, my brother home a Bar, uh, Barcelona jersey and it was a David Villa jersey. And, you know, this is a time where like Messi is big. Uh, you could pick Iniesta, you could <laughs> pick pretty much anyone. And I chose David Villa because I just liked there was something about him, right? This grit, this like, I will not stop at anything mentality. And I just loved it. And so when he came to MLS, I was pumped because uh, this was the start of New York City FC. It was uh, really big time for Major League Soccer, you know, with the inclusion of this group in in what uh, MLS was going to be. And so what when I went over all these accolades from David Villa and where he had been and what he had won, you know, World Cups, Champions League, he's played with Barcelona. He's the all time leading scorer for the Spanish national team. You could go on and on and on. Uh, but he was one of those three DPs with Pierlo and Frank Lampard for New York City FC. Sorry to cut in. Can you even believe that happened? That feels no. like a fever dream that I yeah. have completely made up as revisionist history, but it was real. Sorry, continue. I just, I still no, cannot believe that. It was that. real. It really happened. It really happened. And I think that was one of the things that had been talked about a lot in MLS for a long time. It's like, if you had a team in New York City, who would come, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with Miami. Miami yeah. If you have a team in Miami, who would come? And uh, we saw the stars. I mean, those three players on the same team, star power. But the one that lasted the longest was David Villa. Mm-hmm. And the one that captained the squad was David Villa. And one of the things that I started to look at who he was, so 77 goals, 26 assists, 2016 MLS MVP, uh, played over 117 games for New York City FC. I, I read a quote from him, and I think this really encapsulates what he who he is. So uh, Bleacher Report had this article on him uh, during his last season. It says uh, Via keeps on keeping on. He says, I don't forget my job. I am the son of a coal miner. And that, he said, my job is to the, do the best every day. Hmm. And so I read that. And I was like, man, this is David Villa. He did not take this lightly. Right. He didn't come to MLS thinking like, um, oh, this is just a place to go and make some money. And like, I don't have to play hard. Every single minute he was on the pitch show, he was working hard to contribute to his squad. And he took his captaincy. He took his uh, time in training. I was really interested on who David Villa was as a teammate. And I think that's what set him apart is Hmm. he challenged people to see that uh, they could be better, right? That they could uh, make this team something that was great. And he led them to three playoff appearances. Like, so that's who he was off as a captain, as a teammate. But on the field, David Villa is a spectacular athlete, right? He is one of the best all-time Spanish players that we'll probably ever see. He used a field in New York City, right? It's <laughs> been very difficult for people to play at. But he was able to excel because I think this is what sets him apart. He doesn't need a lot of space. Yeah, mm-hmm. He doesn't need a lot of space. He could do something with the ball in a tighter amount of space than a lot of other people could do. Whether it's taking you on the dribble one-on-one, whether it's a, a, a late run into the box to, to finish a goal. I think David Villa was willing to work with what he had in order to to be successful. And nothing 
nothing could stop him. And he came in and not only set a different standard for what it looks like for older DPs to come into MLS and really continue to make an impact, but he used it to elevate his game. And I think that's what changed him, right? He gets back to the Spanish national team after being away from them for years and not called in, but he did that in MLS. And I think that changes what DPs can be in MLS, right? Because it changes the view of MLS to the world. I also love the tie-in with the Spanish national team. Around those few years, right around the World Cup and the Confederations Cup and the Euros in 2008 and then up to 2012, the Spanish national team was playing this beautiful pass-and-move style, and that really did lend itself very well to the the way that Patrick Vieira wanted to play in MLS. Mm -hmm. Having David Villa up top and have him be able to drop in or, or drift out to the wing and combine, take someone on, as you already said, Jordan. He has so many different options with a guy like David Villa. Vieira can do whatever he wants, and he wanted to play with the ball, and that fits David Villa to a T. Now, I mean, there is some some grit of like who he was as a player on the field. But I think really who he continued to become was really about his attitude, how it was able to rub off on everybody around him. Right. He was just he just would not give up. And I think it changed pretty quickly that attitude of this New York City FC squad. Yep, I'm with you. All right, I'm moving on to our next guy, Carlos Vela from LAFC. Signed with LAFC from Real Sociedad in 2017 and became Brad Bradley's first designated player. Now in his third season with LAFC, he has 52 goals, 29 assists, including MLS assists, which of course we mm -hmm. have to include in this in the show. Um, <laughs> absurd production. And to give better context to that production, in his league MVP season last year, Vela had the highest combined total of expected goals and expected assists. And if you want a recap on what those are, uh, I talked with Elliot McKinley about it a, a month or so ago. Time does sort of blend together in this time. <laughs> right. I think we all know that. So it'll be up in the feed, in the TSS feed. But he had the highest combined total of XG and XA in the league, according to ASA. And that was the number one all time in the data era. So from 2011, wow. no one had had, according to ASA's models, no one had had a better season production wise of creating chances and being in position to take goal scoring chances than Carlos Vela. Wow. So when I was thinking back to, to what makes Carlos Vela so good, I think the thing that comes to not only my mind, but your mind, Jordan, and probably everyone's mind is that left foot, right? It has to be. Oh. It's, it's the primary thing. First and so thing. I didn't want to settle for that, right? I wanted to, okay. I wanted to think more and challenge myself to move past the left foot. And that is, to be fair, that is number one. But I wanted to be more specific than just saying his left foot is what makes him so good. So I thought about it some more and I watched some film and I came to the conclusion that Carlos Vela is smart as a whip, especially when he has the ball at his feet. His understanding of the game and his understanding of space and how to manipulate defenders with his own skill set is what makes him so good. So I'm going to explain. Mm -hmm. I have, I have a play that okay. I'm going to use to explain it as well. But if you think about Carlos Velo Jordan, I tend to think about him being on the right wing, beating a defender with his left foot and kind of curling in like a traditional inverted winger and bending the ball into the top corner. He does that sometimes. And he'll use the fact that defenders are terrified of his ability to score goals and beat them off the dribble. He'll use that fact to draw them in and have them close them down, have one player, two players, three players come in and close them down. And just as those defenders are coming into him, he'll slip a pass out to a teammate who has moved into open space because of the extra players that have been drawn to Carlos Vela. So just because players are so afraid of him, because opposing players are so afraid of Carlos Vela and what he can do with the ball, he uses those moments to set up his teammates for goal-scoring opportunities and to advance LAFC's attack. I want to dub those moments the Vela draw and dish. We're still working on the on the name. <laughs> We're workshopping it a little bit, but I like it. The Vela draw and dish is sort of how I think of it because I think it gives you a good understanding if you can visualize it in your head. There was a moment in LAFC's comeback victory in the second leg of their Concacaf Champions League win over Lyon earlier this year before soccer, you know, was was canceled. Um, but Vela is on the ball in the right half space with two Lyon players moving to pressure him. 
Two wasn't enough for Leon, evidently, because a third player came over immediately to pressure him as well. Leaving Eduard Atuesta had to get the required Atuesta name drop in on the show. Right. Glad Absolutely. we got that settled. I missed it last week with Lucci, so we had to we had to come <laughs> back strong with this one. But Atuesta stepped into the space that that the third defender who had just gone to pressure Vela had left him right as that third guy is coming to close Vela down at the last possible second before he's almost certainly going to get tackled. You can never tell for certain with Vela, but he's probably going to get tackled. He slips the ball out to Atuesta in zone fourteen, that zone right in front of the box and it puts LAFC in a perfect situation to slip the ball through behind the back line and generate a goal scoring chance. The Vela draw and dish is a perfect complement to his actual dribbling ability and goal scoring ability. It makes him nearly impossible to defend as sort of you can visualize in that clip and I'll make sure to post that as well. But it's a perfect complement and it rounds Vela's game to a T. I think that's one of the biggest things that stands out to a lot of these players that we talk about is their ability to know who they are as a decoy as well. Right. Mm. I, I mentioned it off the top with David Beckham. You know, I think he did a really good job of just providing a distraction a lot of the times because David Beckham's on the field. You have to play differently. Yep. And when Carlos Vela is on the field, you have to play differently. But his awareness of knowing not only who he is as a player, but what he can what he can be able to give other players because of, of that. I think that's really he has been able to utilize that in this LAFC squad. When you have a roster like LAFC do. It would almost be a waste not to have Villa have that more unselfish part of his game as well. Because right. as for as good of a player as he is, you still want guys like Diego Rossi and Atuesta and Kay and Blessing and, and all the guys that we've come to know so well on this LAFC team. You want them to have the ability to shine as well because they can. Mm-hmm. And they're also excellent yeah. players. They're not Vela players, but they're fantastic players on their own right. And so I think if Carlos Vela is just out there to score his goals and to get his chances, LAFC wouldn't nearly be the team that they are now. So huge credit to Carlos Vela for how he plays and how he allows his teammates to shine right along with himself in a lot of ways. And I think that's that's something that's probably difficult to do when you you know that you could probably just go out there and score multiple goals a game or at least generate a lot of high-quality right. chances pretty much solo. Shout out to Carlos Vela for making this LAFC team so dominant. For sure. I, I think that's a great shout. And um, you know, I don't know if some of the changes in position and where he goes uh, on the field is something that he works with Bob Bradley with hmm. or if it's just instinctual. It seems to me like a lot of the times it's instinctual, right? Yeah, of course, he likes to set up on the right side so he can come into his left. But you, you're you not shocked to see him as a nine. You're not shocked to see him as a uh, withdrawn nine, right? right. And kind of playmaking a little. He, he'll go to the left. He'll do things and he'll mix it up because he because of just that what you're talking about and so he is a really unique player and um one that i am happy we get to watch all the time in mls yeah i kind of forgot that he played as an attacking midfielder a lot during that first season yeah um, with lafc like latif blessing was out on the on the right wing and then carlos vela was underneath uh, marco arena and i don't know it just seems like that's so far gone now like the 433 <laughs> is so bob bradley now and it's latif blessing as a number eight or you know as an advanced yeah. number eight or whatever you want to call it and that was like a revolutionary tactic that he really hasn't been doing all along. That was a conscious right. decision to move Blessing into the middle and Vela out wide. And I think that alone had a huge impact on how much better the team mm-hmm. got from their first season in the league to last season with that record-breaking season. For sure. All right, Jordan, take us on to our next designated player that we both had unquestionably on this top seven slash top ten. I'm just going down the highway. I'm going <laughs> to LA Galaxy uh, where the stars shine. And when Zlatan Ibrahimovic came to MLS, you know, he is a star that is going to shine. And I think um, that's one of the biggest reasons why 
there that he had to be on this list, right? Is because he is such a character and what he said and what he wanted out of MLS and what he wanted to accomplish, he put out there and there was so, you know, similar to these other big name players that have come over and have been successful. uh, They've called for this league to fulfill its potential, I think, mm-hmm. in some ways, right? Zlatan, and some of the stories that I've heard of who he was um, and what he challenged his teammates to do is he didn't want them to settle for just being in the playoffs, right? He wanted to win the cup. He wanted to come here to win. And and I think his mentality in that enabled him to come in, even if it was just for two years. He scored 52 goals in 56 games, though. <laughs> That's absurd. That's, Almost a goal a game. Uh, he had a goal in the playoffs and an assist in, in just two, a goal and an assist in just two playoff games. And I think we can agree that some of these LA Derby games will go down in history as the, some of the best all time games that we've ever seen. Yep. And so I, I want to go back to a thought that we've had, we actually had at the beginning of this season is LA play perfect for Zlatan with Berosculoto's scheme of crossing right we want to cross the ball we want to cross the ball we want to cross the ball well we have Zlatan in there it makes it a lot easier because he is a giant target and he can do things um even though he's big one of the things that is so interesting about him to me Joe is his fluidness like he he makes athleticism for a large human (laughs) really look like it's so easy right and uh he's so swift and he can side volley he can head the ball get up and uh, dominate in the air he can spin turn whatever it may be Zlatan can do it all and what I think separated him as a designated player is his willingness to change games he wasn't afraid to do a lot of this like nitty-gritty work in some difficult some difficult times for the LA Galaxy to figure out a way for them to either get a point or a lot of the times to get a win. So um I think that he fit what LA Galaxy needed as far as a a player to come in and just be a difference maker. But I think what was difficult is they knew that he could do that, right? So mm-hmm. I think kind of a little bit of his downfall is they relied on him yeah. too much. So it, it's kind of a double-edged sword. But when you're talking about a player who scored 52 goals in two seasons, uh, you can't not have him on your list. There's no doubt that Zlatan belongs on this list. I almost wonder if Ibrahimovic is the best or the worst thing to ever happen to Guillermo Barcelota. You know, in, in MLS, at least, as a coach. Yeah. He did, Zlatan did really influence how the Galaxy played. But also, I'm, I'm fairly certain that that's the same way, or at least a very similar way, that Shiloto played in Argentina as well with Boca Juniors. So maybe it allowed GBS to continue that style with the Galaxy, or maybe he would have adapted without Zlatan. I don't know. But certainly, unquestionably, Zlatan Ibrahimovic shaped how the Galaxy played and is still, even though he's not with the team anymore, still right. having an impact, I think, on yeah. on that squad. Even from just hearing players talk about him now, like Sebastian Legette has been on the BSI podcast talking about him. Julian Araujo on the Scuff podcast, I remember hearing about that as well. He shaped how these guys viewed the game, and, and I'm guessing he wasn't super well-liked by a lot of those guys in the locker room, but he produced on the field and was just a mm-hmm. generational talent to be on the field at Major League Soccer. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think he challenged players in a way that is really uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. And challenge the league also that in a way that's uncomfortable. Yeah. Because I think in the end, I've heard a really, like, I've heard mix a mixed bag. Like, I've heard he's, he really is 
not what he is perceived to be mm. in a lot of the ways that he acts. But I think what he wants is he wanted his team to be the best team that they could be. And he wanted the league to be the best that he, it can be. And, you know, his confidence is saying like, well, if it's going to be the best, it's going to be with me. Right. <laughs> and I, I think if you have that kind of confidence, hopefully you can rub off on players in the fact that you can affect a game really um, dramatically in which he did so many times, you know, I think of his, entrance into MLS and like that goal is going to be the goal I think about as his MLS goal of that half volley from you know nearly midfield that he scores but he is someone that I think challenged people which is what you were just mentioning in a different way and I don't know if that effect is going to happen you know it clearly didn't pay off with the MLS cup like he had hoped it to Mm -hmm. but how are these players that he uh, that he played with and he was training with every single day and competing with will that be something that is long lasting I kind of feel like it might be I think I think it might be as well the Galaxy have had a long list of similar players it's sort of in the Zlatan mold but I think Zlatan is the the Zlataniest of, of them all. Like he's, <laughs> he's just so far, at least outwardly, like you're saying, outwardly, he's just yeah. so confident and so demanding right. of his teammates because I think he's demanding of himself. You never get to be where he is now. 38 years old, still playing yeah. now in AC Milan in Serie A. You don't get to that level without demanding a lot of yourself and the people around you. So Zlatan, yeah, he had to be on this list, even just for the production alone, but that's clearly not right. all of it. Hey folks, Taylor jumping in one last time uh, before Joe and Jordan get to their final designated players, or their final-ish designated players. I wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by Hydrant. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Easy and delicious is key there because these days when I've been waking up, you know, like you don't want to go to the grocery store all the time when you need something, but say you want something to get you going to make you feel refreshed in the morning. Each uh, rapid hydration mix has four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, obviously. Uh, they help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. I did not know that. Uh, I thought potassium was only in banana- bananas and sodium was only in salt. So good to know that you can find them elsewhere. Uh, Hydrant is backed by research. Uh, uh, clearly, my understanding of hydrant is not, but they are backed by the research. Uh, the formula was developed by Oxford scientists, very fancy in their Oxford shirts, to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, always nice, and you can choose between three different flavors, or you can get the variety pack where you've got a mix. Uh, we, I think the one I got had lime, grapefruit, and blood orange. I've enjoyed them all, though. I stick by grapefruit. Grapefruit is the one for me. Uh, and for 25% off your first order, which is always very, very nice. Nice. You can go to drinkhydrant.com slash soccer. That's drinkhydrant.com slash soccer for 25% off your first order. A link will be in the show notes, but one more time, that's drinkhydrant.com slash soccer for 25% off your first order. Thank you very much to Hydrant for sponsoring this episode of MLS Assist. Now back one more time to Joe and Jordan. Okay, we got our, we're um, last last player, right? Absolutely. On we're our, on one number seven. Top- Uh, Number seven of the top seven. Um, We're going from a giant to a very, very small player. Um, (laughs) From Zlatan Ibrahimovic with the Galaxy to Sebastian Giovinco with Toronto FC. Coming over from Juventus in in Italy in 2015. Played four seasons with TFC from 2015 to 2018 before being sold off to Saudi Arabia before the 2019 season. 73 goals, 57 assists in his 125 career MLS games. That's 130 total goal contributions more than one per game. And again, caveat, I suppose, those do include MLS assists as well. But those might even be sometimes more valuable than the actual uh-huh. assist. And they're, well, they're both like, imperfect. So Yeah, it's kind of like the Vela edition 
dodge. What'd you yeah, call it? Draw and dish. Draw and dish. It was close. <laughs> I, I appreciate yeah. the effort, Jordan. Um, yeah, he he's a huge offensive asset for Toronto FC, and and people who saw him know that absolutely. MLS Newcomer of the Year, MLS MVP in the same season in 2015. Three-time MLS Best 11. Part of the Toronto team that made it to MLS Cup in 2016. Won MLS Cup in 2017 and then made it to the CCL Final, which they were so close to winning in 2018. I mean, that team may go down, that Toronto FC team under Greg Vanny may go down as the best in MLS history. LASC would like to have a word with that, but in my mind, it's those two squads recently that have had the best seasons and been the most dominant in Major League Soccer. Sebastian Giovinco is a huge part of that, right? The first thing, again, that comes to mind with Giovinco, one that I'm not really going to talk about, is his free kicks. I was going to say, that's the first thing I think about. And for me, he's one of the few guys, so I'm more surprised when it misses than when it doesn't, which is mathematically so wrong. That's so incorrect, and that thought has no basis for existing. But... Sebastian Giovinco, that's that's who he is. But as with Vela, I wanted to go deeper on what made Giovinco so good as a designated player for Toronto FC. And this is what I came up with. Sebastian Giovinco's naturally low center of gravity, so I'm, I'm calling him short, just to, to not mince words. Because he's short, and his combined skill on the ball made it so difficult for defenses to stop him while dribbling. I mean, he's five foot three, Jordan, and his ball yeah. sticks to his feet like it's glued. He's so maneuverable, he can change direction at a moment's notice, accelerates quickly with the first step. It's it's the messy problem, right? How are you supposed to get low enough to stop him? Because he's so quick and he's so low to the ground. How do you bend over and, and you know slide the ball out from under his foot? It's it's really difficult to do. If you come in too hard, he'll just you'll either foul him or he'll just duke around you and move forward. If you come right. in too soft, he'll accelerate around you as well. So the best players, Jordan, are the ones, I think, who put defenders in impossible situations. And that's exactly what Sebastian Giovinco did for Toronto FC for so many years. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. It is such a it's like a catch 22. You, you couldn't play him one way because he was good at going the other doing the other opposite thing. Right. You come yeah. too close. He's past you. You stay too far back. Well, he'll shoot it and score around you. Mm-hmm. And and from your experience, Jordan, I was curious about this, thinking about Giovinco. I think of tackling players who are low to the ground like that as being difficult. Is is getting the ball off of someone with a low center of gravity, is it difficult? Because I think it the is, hardest. but I don't actually know. The hardest, and that's interesting that you bring that up, because once you started saying that, the first thing I thought about was Crystal Dunn. So my my first year in NWSL, which was my, you know, a few years into my professional career, was Crystal Dunn's rookie year, and she was on my team in Washington for the Spirit. And Crystal Dunn, as we know, is an attacker converted to an outside <laughs> yep. back. So she was still uh, very much an attacker for our squad at that point. And so I was defending her a lot in the middle of the field. And I, I remember specifically this one play uh, at training where I was defending her, and she spin. She did a spin turn around me. I'm not kidding you, Joe. Her center of gravity is so low, her hand touched the ground. Wow! As she turned out, and it's like, how do you? How do I? I'm five nine. I was probably one of the tallest players on my team. Um, it, that juxtaposition is so difficult and so different, especially when you're talking about the attributes of a attacker versus an mm. attributes of a defender. You tend to tend to look at like the taller players as the, as the defenders, right? So um, yes, absolutely. It's so difficult to defend those players. That's fascinating because I'd always assumed that was the case and you hear about it a lot with Messi, especially with Barcelona. Yeah. But when I was thinking about Giovinco, that came to mind very quickly and so I was curious to see if that was your experience and it's interesting to hear that that, is, that really is the case and it is yeah hard to get the ball off of a player like that yeah i would i would watch defenders try to defend javinko and i was like just thankful that wasn't me (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, maybe I won't. I won't try to make a go of it. Like Robbie Kane made me think I could. Sebastian Giovinco <laughs> yeah, okay. makes me think I couldn't. So I think that's oh that's probably gosh. bringing me back down to earth, right where I should be. Jordan, we've gone through the seven. Now we're on yeah. to our own separate final threes. Maybe there'll be some overlap. We don't know. Okay. We're yeah. going to do more more of a quick hitters on these, just more of an overview and then a specific point maybe about what makes them so good during their right. time as a designated player. Why don't you start us off? I think we should also, after we're done with our three, whoever we pick, I think we should give our like people that we all, we're also thinking about mm, because agreed. I think yeah. we, we had a list of players and I think they're all really great players, but so we'll just mention those at the end. But, Perfect. Uh, the first player I'm going to go to is uh, Diego Valeri. Uh, so, he's on the top of mine too, but go for it. Okay. So I, you know, you're talking about Valeri and one of the things I started to think about was like, was he the entrance of this Argentinian connection to MLS? And mm. No, like he's not the first player. Actually, Guillermo Barros Chaloto was the, the first, from what I saw, was the first Argentinian to come in and make a big impact in Major League Soccer, right? Um, you can also talk about the big impact of Federico Higuain, another Argentinian, another DP. But for me, it was... Valeri. And one of the things that I think about Valeri is I think uh, three-time member or three-time MLS best 11. He was a DP from 2013 to 2019. So this is his first year, not under a DP contract. Um, he was an all-star. He has 81 assists. So when, when I'm looking at a player who is a big impact player. You think about Portland in that time from 2013 to now, right, Joe? And they have been consistently fighting for trophies, for trophies every single year. And one of the things is, is I think that Valeri is a humongous part of that. And he knows to play, he knows how to play in between the lines better than a lot of players I've ever seen. And whether that's what we've seen from Portland the last couple of years is that, you know, transition and big counterattacking style, or if he, if they're creating an attack and he's sitting, you know, not only between the, the horizontal lines of the field, but the vertical lines of the field too, right? He finds pockets that enable him to not only, you know, have opportunities on goal, but that draw defenders in to then allow him to find what the best option is, whether it's a shot or whether it's dishing for one of his, you know, 81 assists. He is he just finds that that pocket, that space so well. And that's perfect because you're you're talking about Diego Valeri before he receives the ball, right? You have mm-hmm. to move into space before you can even get on the ball in the first place. And so I think that's that's maybe most of the battle with Valeri. But then once he gets the ball, and this is what I focused on, is his range of passing. With his right mm-hmm. foot, Valeri can play an accurate ball low across the box. He can chip the ball over a back line. He can play a well-weighted through ball, you know, maybe turning in, in between the lines, turning on the half turn and then getting the ball forward to his number nine or to the opposite winger to an overlapping fullback. It doesn't matter. Before Valeri gets the ball, as you highlighted, he is fantastic. And after he gets the ball, he can make anything happen. And that speaks to the assist numbers that you're bringing up, right? He's getting involved in and around the box and making plays happen. And that's, I think that's Diego Valeri in a nutshell, especially now because he doesn't have the speed. And I don't think he was ever the fastest guy, but he's definitely lost a step now at this point in his career. Um, so having those two attributes, the ability to receive the ball and to do something with the ball after you've received it, you know, is going to give him so much longevity, right? That has right. already allowed him to continually impact the Timbers, maybe not in the same way now as he once did, but still to be a hugely important player for them. And that's Diego mm-hmm. Valeri. Right. So we agree. So that's our eighth. We can say we have eight in common. Perfect. I love it. We're on okay. the right track. Okay. Um, all right. I'm going to go to my next one then, since we agree on Valeri. Uh, 
You know, Joe, I'm looking at this whole list and we're talking about all these players and I'm like, there's no Americans on oh here. Oh my, Jordan, we're on this. We're on the same wavelength right now. So does your next player rhyme with MC? <laughs> it just might. It just might. <laughs> okay. The next player I chose Clint Dempsey. You know, I had the chance to talk to Brian McBride, who is one of the greats in U.S. men's soccer history. He said the greatest player to ever play for the United States is Clint Dempsey, best player. And I would agree with him. And and it's just, Clint Dempsey was so multifaceted, but his ruthlessness and his ability to score the big goals in big games, I think is something that hits for me the most. So when I, I think about this squad that Dempsey played on uh, with the Seattle Sounders when he was a DP, he scored big time goals for them. I, I started to look back. Okay. What are big time goals? Well, yeah, of course, playoff goals, of course, goals and, um, you know, those kind type of situations. But I was also thinking, okay, did he score against his rivals? Hmm. He scored eight goals against Portland wow. in his career. And to me, when you're talking about a player who's going to, you know, supersede what he did on the pitch, well, that's going to have a lasting impact for who Clint, Clint Dempsey was for the Seattle Sounders. I think that's where I'm going to stick with his ruthlessness. Like he helped Seattle come into the league uh, when he came to Seattle. They, they had been in the league, but he helped them get to that next step. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though he couldn't play during the MLS Cup when they won, um, I think even them playing for him had a huge impact on who that squad was. So uh, I don't know. I, I just felt like you can't have this list without having Clint Dempsey and to show Americans, uh, you know, this is what you can do here in the U.S. Just quickly to add to that, because I also had Dempsey uh, rhyming with Dempsey on my list. Um, <laughs> I just sort of wanted to to plug Matt Doyle's analysis of him. He put out a great video on Twitter recently going through an example of Dempsey trying a backheel flick on the center line and using that to destabilize the opposing defense. I mean, people always say that Clint Dempsey was great because of his mentality, like you're talking about Jordan, and also because he tried stuff, right? But mm -hmm. that's not, I mean, that doesn't give an adequate representation, the, the trying stuff part. That doesn't really explain anything about his game. Like, I could go out on the field, a lot of player analogies with me today, I gotta think of other stuff. Yeah, um, yeah you're good. I could go out like on the it. field and, and, and try things. Like, I wouldn't be good at them, but I could try them. I could, I could do a back kill flick on the center line, it wouldn't go well. But Dempsey not only can execute those movements, but he also understood why he was doing them, or at least it seems right. that way from watching him. Yeah. He understands that if I do this back heel, you know, flick on to, to my number nine and my attacking midfielder underneath me on this spot on the field, this is going to benefit our team because this defender is going to be drawn out. And it's like he's thinking of the game like all of these players that we're talking about. He's thinking of the game at a very high level. And Clint Dempsey's ability to do that consistently, coupled with his mentality, is what made him such a great player. That's a really good point is that is that he tried things not because they were just just for fun. He right. tried things because he understood that people would think, OK, in this situation, you're going to pass the ball with the inside of your foot. So I know you have to open your body up and I'll read you from there. Mm -hmm. But instead of doing that, he did back heel or he did flick it or he did something that didn't give the defender an opportunity to set up or defend like they normally would because it didn't it wasn't normal. Yeah, yeah, that's Clint Dempsey. I think you just described him very, very well. Jordan, let's flip it back. We've each got, well, maybe this is the same player. Who knows? We've each got one more. I think hopefully they're different. Maybe not. We'll find out who you got. Do you want me to go first? I you think you go should first? go. I think you should finish this out. Okay. Okay, Joe, then I'm looking at our DP list and I'm like, man, there's a lot of attackers. I can't. I can't go with all attackers, like especially for me, a player who's played all over the field and understands just some of the nuances of certain uh, positions. So 
I'm sticking with an American. I'm going Michael Bradley for Toronto. I love it. We're finally we're finally on a different page here. Why don't you tell okay. me why we have okay. Michael Bradley on this list? DP in Toronto for five years. Uh, his new contract is is a TAM contract, so he's not technically a DP. But if you look at who Toronto was with him, now this is a guy who has 192 starts out of 193 games for Toronto. Wow. He starts every single game but one. And I think um, one of the things I we actually talked about at the beginning of this year is who's Toronto going to be without Michael Bradley. And I think that is something that maybe this is really a good timing for him because he is able to recover and get back to his squad. But he's the heartbeat of this team. And you talked about Giovinco and his ability to attack. Well, the players only have the ability to attack the way that they do because they're secure in who they, who, what is behind them too. Right. You talk about Clint Dempsey. Well, he had Ozzy Alonso behind him, right. Securing up the midfield. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of some of these other players that we, we talked about. You talk about Diego Valeri. Well, you've got Chara behind you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of these players were able to shine because of who is behind them. Um, So I think Michael Bradley is not only the heartbeat of this team, but his ability on the ball to distribute and break down other teams is very good from that defensive midfield position. But he can also deny attacks for other teams, right? So in in his time... They've made the playoffs all but his first year. They're two-time runner-ups and they're champions. So you talk about a DP who helps set the tone. I think Michael Bradley sets the tone. And it also opens up this idea of what a DP and who a DP can be. Man, I'm just thinking that Toronto team was so good. So that good. one, that one at their peak, kind of like I outlined earlier, talking about Giovinco, Bradley sitting deep, Osorio and Delgado right next to him, moving up and down the field. Victor mm-hmm. Vasquez at the top of the diamond or, or whatever midfield shape that Greg Vanny wanted to play that day. Then Giovinco and Josie Altador up top. You have Beta Shore on one side and Justin Morrow on the other, and then some quality center backs in the back as well. That squad was ridiculous, and it it would not have been nearly as good without Michael Bradley. Yeah, I agree. So that's rounded mine out. So we have nine in common, it sounds like. And this last one is different. So, Joe, who's your last pick? I stuck with an American. It's funny that we both we felt justified. <laughs> or we both we both felt like we needed to add some American blood into this list. Landon Donovan is my last okay. pick. We'll, we'll read through the other guys that we left off this list. And you can argue with us all you want. I, I said at the start, this list is imperfect. Landon Donovan, probably not at the peak of his career later in the stages of his time as a designated player. I think his main ability at that point was to set up his teammates for goal scoring opportunities. His passing ability, watching through especially a lot of those Robbie Keane goals. Landon Donovan was a huge part of that. I focused on Robbie Keane's movement and that's, that's essential. You cannot have those goals happening without him. But that's only half the battle. You also need the ball to get there in the first place. Mm-hmm. And Landon Donovan provided so many of those. He he had 110 key passes, passes that lead directly to a shot in 2014, which is the fifth most in a single season in the MLS data era. So from 2011 wow. on to, to today. That's, that's a lot of key passes yeah. for a guy that I tend to think of, Jordan, as this mobile up and down the wing, maybe moving centrally for the national team, mm-hmm. able to play a lot of spots. But his speed for a long time was so much of what made him... S- so good and made him land in Donovan, but that mm-hmm. wasn't it, right? And we saw him have to rely on his passing later in his career with the Galaxy, and he did it so, so well. Yeah, I think that's a good point because you do think of Landon Donovan and you think about goals. Yeah. And you're not going goals. You're going, you know, in this specific example, key passes and his ability on the ball uh, to distribute as well. Yeah, I think a hugely well-rounded player, and obviously that's a lot of what made him such a fantastic player with the U.S. and with his time, um, with his club career as well. Yeah, I honestly felt bad not putting him on there, but I don't know. I just had to mix it up. I appreciate that. Jordan, we needed some variety, especially after we were clearly on the same page yeah. um, at, at the same time, even working in different states. Right. We've gone through our own 
list 10-ish, whatever it is, of players here. We did have to leave a few big names off of here. Jordan, yeah. why don't you read through some of the guys that, that almost made the cut, but we couldn't quite squeeze them in? Uh, we had Frederico Iguain, of course, his time with Columbus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so huge, 55 goals, 63 assists, and that's just in regular season. Obafemi Martins, you talk about a player to come in and just make an impact. 40 goals, 23 assists in just 72 games. This is a guy when you're looking at those, him and Clem Dempsey, right? Those yeah. two, when they were playing together, were so fun to watch. And he was just a ridiculous talent. So difficult to stop. Just would cut through defenses like it was uh, nothing. Yeah. So I loved watching Martins. He was one of my um favorite players to watch back in the day um ignacio piatti i think that was hard not putting him on there he too. came close you... to mine yeah he came yeah. very close and then the last one i have is juan pablo and on hell and man i think that he was another one of those big stars that came over and really made a huge impact and took it seriously yeah. and i think that part of me was like it didn't feel right not putting him in there but i don't know i It was really between, uh, for me, honestly, him and Bradley. And I just felt like when I looked at who Bradley had been in the longevity of it, I just felt like there was a bigger impact. So those are the the other four that I had as kind of still in the mix. Totally fair. Jordan, to close us out, I think just for a minute or two here, I think it might be interesting to have a back and forth about what common themes we saw in these players, because this discussion can be useful mm, as yeah, like yeah, yeah. as an understanding of what makes the elite soccer players in any league, in MLS, in, in Europe, wherever it is, what makes them and separates them from the rest. For me, mm-hmm. I think one of the things, and it's fine if we both have the same thoughts on this, but for me, one of the things that stands out is just their understanding of space and how to exploit space. Valeria, I think, was a great example for that, right? We just talked about it. He's, he knows where to be. He knows where to move so that defenses can't track him. And he knows, you know, how to consistently get into those positions. You can't have Diego Valeri with his assists without that movement in the first place. You know, Robbie Keane as well, getting into pockets of space in the box, like I saw him do on so many of his goals. That's a lot of what made him such a fantastic Major League Soccer player. That idea of being able to manipulate and exploit space is a lot of what separates the elite soccer players from the still very good players, but there is clearly that gap between them. That's a great place to start, Joe. And I think when we talk about these players and we go over all these players, yeah, they... I'm curious, could they go into any team and still Hmm. make that impact? And I really feel like all of these players have something different about the way that they think in the way that they're continuing to pursue their own personal greatness and demand greatness out of other people. And I I think that's what sets them apart as well is they didn't just, they didn't, they don't come to MLS to finish out their career. You know, if you're talking Mm -hmm. about David Villa, he didn't come, David Villa, he didn't come here to just finish his career out. He knew that he could still get better. And I think that that's what separates these players is they are constantly striving for greatness within themselves. And, it is year after year, this continuation of something. Um, I can achieve something more. I can be better at this. I can be better at that. And I'm not saying that every player, there's not a lot of players like that. But for them, there's just something different that not only pushes them, but also creates this synergy within a group as well. 100%. I think that's a good sort of counterpoint to all the talk we had about skills and their on-field ability. There's a mental side of things as well. And for someone who didn't play and for for all of us who have grown up watching soccer and and consuming the game that way, that's always important to remember that there is this mental side to the game that contributes to to someone becoming a dominant professional as well, just like their skill or their ability to see the game on the field. There's all these attributes, and only when they're combined can you really have players like the ones we talked about. Exactly, Joe. That's what I was going to say, is the combination, right? Because if you don't 
if you don't have the realization mentally of who you are, then you can't adapt your game in order to do the, gosh, I'm not even going to get it again, the Vela um, dish. The, <laughs> draw and dish, it? draw and draw dish. Draw and dish, gosh. You, you know, Vela, if he doesn't adapt and see who he is, he's not going to be able to do the draw and dish, right? Because he's not going to understand, okay, when people come to me, okay, now I have to adapt right? in order to dish. So I think that it is. It's this con- continual improvement, not only on in their realization of who they are, but who who they can be to the people and the team around them. Because at the end of the day, uh, if your team isn't successful, and a lot of those players, we talk about their teams, very successful teams, and a lot of it has to do is because they took that on themselves in order to provide help be a foundation for who what the team could be as far as success goes. Would you prefer the Vela pull and play? Because I'm also happy to do that. Or the Vela pull and pass. Maybe that's the one. Um, you know what? I don't know why I can't get drive and dish. <laughs> I like drive and dish. Or draw and dish. I can't even get it. Whatever. You know what I mean. I know I, what you I mean, like Jordan. That. I like it. I like it a lot. I think that's a good place to end it. I just sort of wanted to wrap it up with with that discussion, because I think it's important to look at, you know, how how players separate themselves. And that's why these guys are even being talked about in the first place. So, Jordan, Absolutely. we covered a lot of ground, a lot of ground today, went through a lot of players, dug into what really made them so good during their time as a designated player in Major League Soccer. I think we covered it pretty thoroughly. Jordan, thank you so much for chatting with me. I, I genuinely had a blast. Yeah, that was really fun. Thanks, Joe. I hope you guys all agree with it. And if you don't, hit us up. Who's your favorite DPs? Let us know. 